0: The Uyghurs are a Turkic Muslim people who live in a Central Asian land, usually called Xinjiang. They have been, and are being, brutally oppressed by China's communist rulers. There can be no debate about that. Nuri Turkel was born in a detention center in Xinjiang, but as a young adult he made his way to America, where he became the first Uyghur to earn a law degree at an American university. Today, he is a prominent human rights attorney, a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute, and he serves as chairman of USERF, the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. Appointed by Nancy Pelosi, I give credit where credit is due. But please do not expect me to say chair rather than chairman. Best I can tell, he's not a piece of furniture. Nuri Terkel has written a book, a memoir, a call to action. Its title, No Escape, The True Story of China's Genocide of the Uyghurs. I'm pleased to have him with us in studio at FDD headquarters here in our nation's capital. I'm Cliff May, and I'm delighted that you're joining us, too, here
1: on Foreign Policy.
0: So, Nuri, first of all, hello, and thanks for coming in. Thank you.
1: thank you so much, uh, Cliff, for having me on. And particularly, I'm grateful since your own experience serving in, in the and having this conversation with you is, 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 is a very meaningful thing.
0: I'm an alumnus. I uh, guess yes, you, would, you yes. would say. So, look, I'm going to be actually a little more organized than I usually am today because we're going to, I want to try to, uh, for us to cover four topics. First, I want to talk a little about you. And then second, about the Uyghur people and about the land of the Uyghur people. I don't think people know enough about that. And third, most important, but what's, what it's been like for the Uyghurs under Chinese imperial rule and then under Chinese communist rule. And then finally, are last, what should be done? What could be done? What is being done? What is not being done? So that's kind of what I want to go through. So start with you. I mentioned you were born in a, a detention center. Such facilities are also called reeducation camps or concentration camps or prison camps. How would, you, how would you describe these places? How long were you, were you there?
1: Um, thank you again. Um, I was um, born in Chinese re-education camp during the height of the Cultural Revolution. Uh, my newly vetted parents were separated. Uh, dad was sent to forced labor camp uh, in an area three hours away from uh, central Kashgar. And that was because
0: he had been involved in Uyghur politics even prior to the Chinese takeover. Is that right?
1: uh, Actually, that's my mother's side. My my father had two cousins Uh who migrated to Soviet Union in the 1960s. So there was a mass migration from the Uyghur homeland, East Turkestan, to the Soviet Union uh, about 10 years after Mao's um, takeover or invasion of Uyghur homeland. So my mm-hmm. two uncles migrated to Uzbekistan, today's Uzbekistan. Because of that family connection, guilt by association, the Chinese uh, Red Guards, I uh, well, sent my dad to a labor camp to perform agricultural labor.
0: And the guilt by association because they had fled, because they were living? Because
1: his relative uh, being in the Soviet Union, as you know, Early on, Mao and Stalin were allies, and then their relationship got sovereign, and anyone who was supporting were being in their uh, sphere or or geography. So it was
0: suspicious that they had gone to the Soviet Union, even though the Soviet Union was a fraternal communist country. And in fact, if my history is right, um, after uh, Stalin essentially gave Xinjiang. Yeah. To the communist Chinese, yeah. it had a period of independence, but it was short, but it went from one communist dictatorship to another, one communist, one might
1: say, colony to another. Is that not right? Precisely. That's that's exactly what happened. In 1944, The with the with Stalin's support, the Uyghurs established the second East Turkestan Republic in my father's uh, pl- place of birth, Gulja. Uh, and then five years later, uh, Stalin felt that uh, this land needed to be transferred over to the hands of the Mao's regime. Uh, Why? It, just as a favor or as a it's gesture? A fa- it's, a pa- it's a favor. And also, he wanted to have a buffer zone between China uh, and the Soviet Union, just uh, like the way that he created the, the Mo- Mongolia.
0: Right, right. So,
1: people, by the way, people should look
0: at a map to see this because kind of, I'm, I'm digressing, but we'll come back. Yeah. Turkish, Xinjiang. And we'll get to what way yeah. East Turkestan yeah. is a very large land. Yes, yes. I mean, like the size of it's a massive.
1: It's a massive. It's the size of Western Europe. Uh, close to home, it's four times the size of California. So the East, why it's East Turkestan? That whole Central Asian land mass, historically known as Turkestan, because of the the cultural, linguistic, religious uh, affinity similarities of the people living in that part of the world. So Stalin essentially occupied the western part of it. Mao occupied the eastern part of it. That's how this Eastern Turk- East Turkestan, West Turkestan idea came about. So East Turkestan was the actual name of the Uyghur Republic in 1933 and 1944. The first one was set up with the help of the Burts. The second was set up with the help of the Soviets. So both of them did not survive much uh, longer. And the name Xinjiang is a colonial name, right? Uh, uh, after Mao's occupation, uh, it, he uh, his regime changed the name from East Turkestan to Xinjiang.
0: Which means like new border
1: region, right? A New right? frontier, front, new, uh, frontier of frontier, the empire. Yes, frontier, new dominion. That enough itself shows that this is a colony. That's what I want so, to get. So, so my dad was taken to re-education camp because of his family connection to the Soviet Union. Okay. And then, uh, while this was happening, my mother, uh, was, uh, in her uh, third trimester with me. Uh, she was very but, young. Yeah, very young. 19 uh, tw- or so. yeah. And taken to, uh, re-education camp in this massive uh, uh, Soviet-built building. So she went through physical, verbal abuses and even got hurt, uh, injured herself. She was in a a cast chest down uh, when she delivered me in September uh, uh, 1970. So we were there from uh, September 1970 through the next spring, April. Um, so I spend my uh, first several months of my life in this world in a re-education camp. That uh, re-education camp is also very similar to what we're seeing today. Uh, so the, the purpose, it has two purpose. One is the thought transformation, making you uh, either atheist, from uh, forcing you to walk away from your religious belief, and then two, force you to embrace communist ideology. So this is the transformation. The term "transformation" is is commonly used in Chinese official statements. That should be taken as a human reengineering.
0: Is uh, there one other aspect to it? And correct me if I'm wrong, and that is. You're a Uyghur, but they want you to identify more as a Chinese yes. than a Han Chinese. Yeah, Hanification. I, Hanification. Yeah. Hanification. Sinicization, yes. So, people the, Han, the Hans are the most important, uh, largest ethnic group within the Chinese Empire. In China, right? That's a, the, the great majority. Um, anyhow, yes, to try to make you feel like you're not. Absolutely, I'm a Turkic Muslim,
1: but you're maybe a second-class
0: Han Chinese, but you're still that's what you aspire to be. Do I have that Absolutely. right? Absolutely, yes.
1: Uh, a, a few years, I believe this was 2019. The uh, the Chinese uh, uh, Communist Party, a um, chief for the Rumchi city, published a column uh, denying Uyghurs a Turkic connection. Really? <laughs> um, even, the, you know, the, speaking of rewriting history, yeah. uh, even genetic formation is, is also been denied by the Chinese Communist Party. So so because of my upbringing, the way that I was born, what the Uyghurs have gone through in the last four or five years, uh, I would say six years, starting from the time this um, the nightmare is, is start emerging or coming to our attention, it's been so personal to me, Cliff. This is like, I never thought uh that I even even have to talk about my being born in a re-education camp. Uh who would like to talk about that kind of experience? I'm an American, you know, I I've, i I'm proud to be a naturalized US citizen and, and now I'm a US official. So why would I talk about these things? But I've been talking about it nonstop literally every single time when I do public speaking. We'll talk about the personal cost of advocating human rights for the Uyghur people. And I want you know using this these stories, I had I have been uh, trying to educate general public that the Communist Party has problem uh, with people who belong to others, you know, whether it be your religious background or ethnic background. It's just using the different name uh, under the different justification, carrying out essentially the same type of policy uh, that turned into a genocide or acts of genocide uh, in recent years. So uh, I you know re-education camp and also has something b very very profoundly uh uh disturbing to me uh a few months ago a chinese ambassador to uh france said that after Taiwan is taken over, Taiwanese people need to be re-educated. Right, right, so right, right. people need to be mindful. Re-education is re- a human re-engineering. You know, one thing, it's re-engineering, and
0: you, absolutely. But one thing that makes me a little bit optimistic is they you were born in a re-education camp. They tried to re-educate you. They didn't succeed awfully well. <laughs> you, were, you, were, you were not a great example of what re-education does. Great example does. of failure. A great example of failure because <laughs> you don't think of yourself as a He's going to think so i mean it, it didn't it kind of didn't
1: work you might want to go back to the drawing bar okay but i want to talk a little more that's about that's absolutely you. right i never <laughs> thought about that failure
0: <laughs> it's, it makes me optimistic so so all right you were in this camp you started to do what you started to, you, you still got a, a, a you learned to read you learned to write you as i understand it you were a very bright student they probably looked to you as oh this is a promising young man you probably didn't <laughs> Disabuse them of that
1: notion. Am I wrong? Mm -hmm. And so you started to get an education, right? Right, right. Um, In the early parts of my life in this world, I had uh, various health issues, uh, obviously, you know, um, uh, after being uh, able to watch my two small kids grow up, you know, how much attention, nutrition that the kids need. So none of this, none of these, or none of the type, the uh, care and 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 the uh, support that I have been able to give to my kids were not available for me, so that resulted in having serious health issues. Even um, I, I want to share this with you, listeners. That even my mother was not feeling comfortable to show me in public because mm. she didn't want to have people to make offensive comments about the way that I looked.
0: Well, I, because we're not on video here, I want to tell people you're you're a big, <laughs> strong, good-looking guy, Danielle. Is he not a big, strong, good-looking guy? He's a big, strong, good-looking. Yeah make that clear <laughs> <laughs> thank
1: you so uh yeah it it, it 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 was very very uh difficult early on but you know life returned to a, a normalcy after my father was released a, after his teaching position was restored uh we rebuilt our lives and, and this my was post-culture revolution liberalization in the 1980s and right. this is this is important time uh, yes. Okay. And you know, the reason I brought this because I lived through all of it. Re-education camp, culture for kind of a cultural revival for the Uyghur people in the 1980s. Mm. And then the post, uh, Cold War, uh, China in the 1990s. And then after 9-11 in the United States, so I, I've lived through all of it. I don't know if it's a, it's a, it's a privilege or, but some reason I feel that, um, I've seen, both sides, um, uh, through my own experience, this is why I was feeling compelled to write this memoir early on in life. I have I was not planning to do it,
0: but this was the way, so there was a kind
1: of hopeful time where yeah. you, things
0: got better. It was a little freer yeah. for the for the Uyghurs. Maybe you didn't think at that point this was going to be, maybe this was going to go away, and then of course the oppression came back yeah. largely uh, under Xi Jinping. Would you say? Yeah, yeah yes. You know, it it in you know, the twenty it, it, years in yeah.
1: the nineteen eighties it was it was I describe it as a golden period. Yeah. Uh no one stopped me from practicing my religion following my father. You know, no one stopped me from speaking my own language, you know, the Uyghur culture, literature, poetry, architecture. And you uh, learn
0: by the way, you speak Uyghur, but you also learn to speak Mandarin?
1: Yeah, Uyghur, by right? my own desire. Uh, uh yeah. Yeah, no one forced me to do it. Right. Unlike right. today. So I, I still speak uh, and read uh, uh uh Chinese fluently. Yeah. Uh wow. So, and so, then, so,
0: and then you, you ended up getting to be, getting to be sent abroad. They must have trusted you to, to, to continue your education, right?
1: I, I took, um, uh, there's a, uh, uh, exam called the TOEFL test for, uh, uh, English as a second language, uh, speakers. So I took that test. How did you learn English over there? <laughs> it's, it's, a, um, I'm a self, I'm self-taught. self self-taught. Yeah. Here.
0: <laughs> This is very impressive. I'm very, uh, so I I'm very the, daunted here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I took
1: the test. I passed and then I got into a graduate program in the United States. So with that valid admission letters and I was able to get my passport a uh, year after I graduated from college. Um, I managed to came to the United States in August 1995. So, um, you know, the, the, I, as I mentioned in the book, um, the, the Uyghurs have a very special place uh, for America, the United States in their heart. Um, and, and I grew up hearing, uh, I grew up discussing this, uh, the idea of America. Uh, and sometimes the Chinese help us to learn about America through their own propaganda materials, <laughs> like calling American imperialists. Right. They have state, um, mm. propaganda materials. Mm. So once you live in that kind of system, uh, the government propaganda usually gives you the opposite effect. So you make it force you to think and study. So, uh, you know, the U.S. support of the uh, democracy activists during the Cold War was come to our attention by way of china's condemning that <laughs> right. yeah. so that given a uh, a whole uh, kind of a, you know um, develop an interest coming to the United States even while I was in college because of this kind of uh, uh, government published propaganda that in a way helped us to learn about America and the western civilization and, and democracy and, and rule of law human rights respect for human rights so so i i you know i i've been both um uh, was forced to go through a Chinese uh, education system, which is very different than here. And at the same time, during that period, I developed deep interest and respect for for the United States. That prompted me to apply for school and come come here in um, in 1995.
0: And at what point after you got here? I assume after you got here, did you decide, okay, I think I'm not going back. I think I'm going to become an American. I think I'm going to stay here. That's it's got its benefits. It's got its difficulties challenges. because of challenges and family and yeah. all of that. You knew what we well, how, how, talk about making that decision in
1: nineteen ninety in February nineteen ninety five in my father's. Um, uh, place of birth uh Gulja close to Kaz- Gholja, Gholja, close, close to Kazakhstan border right far from Beijing by the yeah, way much closer to uh Kazakh, to Almaty in yes. Kazakhstan right yeah people drive to Almaty yeah. from my phone. <laughs> so it's it's uh there was a, a street protest in uh specifically uh, February in February 1997 uh-huh. so the chinese brutally uh, suppressed those protesters like hosing them with they uh, you know fire truck uh it 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 was if freezing cold uh february month and i after seeing those images uh because of my own family connection to that part of the the Uyghur homeland uh i thought that this is a hopeless uh government to even maintain some sort of a positive view and i was i was concerned about my own safety as well uh right around that time i flew in from san francisco to Washington to attend my first uh, anti-China protest in front of the Chinese embassy Mm. on Connecticut Avenue, uh, not far from here. Uh, You know, once you do that, two things will happen to you. You kind of uh, liberate yourself from the fear. And then two, you feel empowered that uh, after so many years, you're finally able to let it out. Uh, even chanting <laughs> downtown CCP type of slogan as the way that recent protesters in China did, was very meaningful, very powerful. So if that's that was the turning point. I talked I talked about this experience, and then it just fast forward um, uh, in the United States, the Chinese manipulation of U.S. led war on terrorism, claiming they're also a terrorist because of the Uyghurs and Muslim background, and then during the Obama administration, this engagement policy that helped to make things worse, and then you know prepping up Xi Jinping, uh, rolling out red carpet. And now we're seeing this ter- regime turning into genocidal regime. Uh, it's it's all, you know, I, I can't say that I told you so, but I was expecting this will get really, really bad. But I didn't expect that the international community will be um, uh, staying, feeling indifferent as it they have been for the most part except for the United States, except for nine other parliaments and governments around the world, at least have done their dues uh, under their uh, treaty obligation. Uh, Article 1 uh, uh, of the Genocide Convention specifically direct state parties to speak out. Only the United States and nine others have done that. So this genocide is still underway.
0: Did you begin talking to people in the U.S. government during the Obama administration to try to, if you'll excuse the expression, re-educate them about what China was?
1: doing? Well, we did, uh, but it was a, it was a very, very promising, uh, period for the folks in the policy circle because their trade relationship was, uh, was booming and they had this human rights dialogue, which is essentially wasting time uh setting somebody who is not even at the same level as assistant secretary of state for DRL to sit across the table um and we didn't have good audience well i you know part of what happened it seems to me is this is
0: that you had a kind of bipartisan consensus that china was going getting wealthier with our with american help yeah. bring into the wto yeah. by trade we have businessmen going over yeah. there building factories or and as it became wealthier, it would become more liberal and more moderate and better on human rights yep. and freedom. And and people didn't want to see that this was not happening most obviously since Xi Jinping has been in power. Yep. It's clearly not the direction he's going. He's much more a Maoist and a Stalinist. But people, not only have did people not want to admit that – A lot of people still do not admit that. Not least people in the business communities and all that. They they're very people are very defensive. I got a friend who lives in Hong Kong, who just refused He's got a Hong Kong wife. He refuses to understand, and he's a bright guy. What's happened to Hong Kong? How they how the people of Hong Kong have been oppressed, and how their 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 rights that were guaranteed under a tree were taken away. Now. But all right, we'll fast forward a little bit because then I know you did in the in the previous administration, the, the Trump administration. You got to see Matt Pottinger, who is a brilliant guy. He's he chairs FDD's uh, China program, and just for people who don't know, he was a journalist in China, learned to speak Chinese. He then enlisted in the U.S. Marines, very strange thing. And he was um, in the U in the Security Council with HR uh, McMaster and and was. Doing China policy, and then was deputy uh, assistant uh, national security advisor, and you talk about him in your book. So you might just tell the story because you were you were surprised that he that he did get it. He understood. In fact, I would say that Matt is one of the people, of maybe the most important person in the U.S. government, who said, "Guys, we are misunderstanding what's happening in China. Our theory has been wrong." Let me try to explain I mean that's that sort of he sort of and I think he did that for people in both parties, and again, there are still plenty of people in both parties who still don't understand what Xi Jinping represents and what his plans are and what he is trying to do in in china in 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 places like. East Turkestan, if yeah. I may, yeah. uh, and in the world at large. So let me—you may just want to tell that story because that was a that was a good moment when you got found somebody who did understand what was yeah. going on.
1: You know, uh, for your listeners, Matt is um, uh, is a former journalist and also happened to speak fluent Chinese. He had uh, uh, been speaking uh, to the Chinese people uh, through speeches and communications, a very sophisticated China hand, and I also consider him as a as a transnational treasure you mentioned the word uh you mentioned bipartisan um uh bipartisan approach to china actually the 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 mistakes were also have been bipartisan before the previous administrations uh recognition of the problem as as led by people like matt pottinger right so um uh, the the whole problem essentially started after 9/11 uh, excuse me uh Tiananmen square massacre uh, the Bush forty one was pressured by the business community, and then Clinton carried the bucket and brought the Chinese into the WTO, and then rest of it is history. Right. So and Matt In was WTO.
0: That was a two thousand and one. I believe. Yes. Just so yes. Just so people so understand the administration
1: yeah, yeah. actually. Help them to get into the WTO, and you know, in all fairness, I don't second, I don't second guess, or even uh, wanted to give them the benefit of the doubt. Those who believe that helping the Chinese society uh, with economic support, educational support, eventually become one of us, they had uh, South Korea, Taiwan in mind, right? But uh, instead of was a good theory, it was a good theory, but instead of us leading them to the, uh, the right side of the history. They tried to destroy everything that we value. So, so going back to Matt, um, I, for, I did not know him before he joined the administration. I only knew about him, uh, uh, right before, uh, Trump's first trip to China in November 2019, uh, 2018. And I, I was worried about my family after hearing, um, the bad news, horrific news, people just disappearing in large numbers. Uh, of course, they, uh, having uh, ailing, aging parents myself who had been subject to various torturous treatment, including, uh, forced, uh, uh in- including experience of forcibly given uh, DNA samples back in 2015. Obviously, I have to worry. So I reached out to Matt's team, um, uh, uh and uh, make sure that my parents case is raised and i get no pushback and it was uh handed into the chinese uh by the uh, trump administration officials in the first trip so that's kind of a built uh, open yeah. the gate and then i visited his office which is remarkable comparing to the previous administration that did not allow uh, dissidents and activists to engage with the nsc the mats nsc mats because you're afraid of a Offending the Chinese, yeah. okay. it, You know, In the Bush administration, there was a uh, certain access. And then after the, uh, when the Obama administration started, the doors essentially shut. Uh, and then Matt reopened that door. So I was not only being able to go to see him and communicate with them, I was also able to bring uh, uh, activists and dissidents to meet with him and his team. He built a massive uh, operations. Massive means like a brain power, mm-hmm. not a head count. Um, he <laughs> used to be small office and had number of uh, China directors, including a Uyghur American being appointed as a China director. Historical, uh, and uh, so. One instance, I took uh, the World Group Congress president to meet with Matt, and I, I told him about my dad's experience being taken to daily reeducation, as if all of the things that he had gone through was not enough. And, and mm. he and and my dad was injured when this was happening, and Matt just dropped the F bomb and called the Chinese out. Uh, said, "What a brutal uh, blip, blip, blip." So. And I was moved. Um, I was moved by his sincere response. I was moved by his willingness to continue to listen, because time was up. Yeah. Uh people knocking the door trying to pull him away. He mm-hmm. just continued to listen. So that's how we uh right. built that relationship. Not only that, I mean he's been an intellectual uh force in the in a healthy discussion about China. It's not about some of us anti-something, whenever we disagree with some, something, people like to label you uh, anti-something. We're not anti-something, anti, we are pro-America. It, we, it's a patriotic act, or think. To push back against a regime like this, it's threatening our sovereignty, threatening our liberties, trying to change our way of life. There's nothing anti-about maintaining that kind of position or push back. So, so Matt helped us to normalize that discussion. He's a mild-mannered guy, very intellectual. You know, he reads Chinese speeches. He has this famous... Uh, uh, lines that I always borrow, like you don't have to listen to me, you don't have to listen to the actively, you don't even have to listen to listen to Xi Jinping. Just read his speeches.
0: He just did a piece very recently <laughs> yeah. in Foreign Affairs. I wrote a column about it as well with exactly this. It's his. his, his here's what Xi Jinping is saying. <laughs> yeah. I'm not interpreting. Here's yeah. what he's saying. Yeah,
1: understand what he wants to do. And, he's he's been, and Xi Jinping has been delivering on yeah. his promises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not a rocket science. When when I say this, when Matt says it's come across, kind of you know condescending But it's not that difficult. Just pay attention to the guy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. And were there also people in the Obama administration or the Bush administration who also believe the Chinese line that, look, all we're doing here? Because I've heard people say, all we're doing here with the the Uyghurs, um, you know, there's a lot of Al-Qaeda there. We have to work. There's a lot of terrorism. And we're just doing what you're doing. We're fighting jihadism. Uh, Isn't that – it, I think they believe a, that. A lot of people believe lot, that, right? A lot
1: of people, people still uh, to this day believe in that. It's a, it's a biggest um, um, and, and disturbingly effective disinformation campaign right. that the China has waged. You know, here in the United States, we lost lives, like real lives, 3,000 plus people. And China has never been a victim of terrorism until they claim and put out these statements, even to this day. Even the incidents that they cite, the Kunming railroad station stabbing incident, the Tiananmen Square car ramming and and the other, never been, never, those, those claims never been verified independently. So we have a problem in, in the Western society media. We just take things at face value, copy and paste and report as if it's true. To the, I, I, I'd love to hear somebody said who has done an independent investigation, like the way that our society conduct business. You know, we have a healthy discussion. We have a investigative journalist. We have intelligence agents looking to, we'll get to the bottom of it. There's none of this is available. So even that to me is doubtful. This may, you may disagree with me, but you know, Because of my training, because of the way I think, it's not that difficult. I want to see it. What really happened? It's not been shown to us. Even let's say, let me, let me uh, put it this way. Even if the Chinese have a legitimate concern, like most government does, uh, what most nations do, uh, with respect to extremism, terrorism, then you don't do a collective punishment. So this preemptive policing that they have been imposing on the Uyghur people has been ineffective. It's not how you do it. Now this is turned into genocide. You know this hyped up. You know in the Chinese system, this is very important for your listeners. The 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 security is the uh, the stability is the paramount concern to the Chinese state. So everything in today's Chinese society, religious freedom, the press freedom, all the other rights that people would like to have have been folded in under the security concern. It's a national security. So because of that, they use that to justify, sometimes even does not have to justify, to impose. And they liken religious belief, for example, as a thought virus, uh, infectious disease, mm-hmm. So that need to be preemptively, uh, cleaned out mm. before that it spreads the vital organs of the state or spreads into the, the general public. So this is how they look at it.
0: In terms of other viruses, they have not been quite so successful yes. either, I might so, say.
1: Yes. So, so, you know, uh, if it's, a, if it's a law enforcement, it's a national security, target that individual, target that organization. Cut them off their fundings if there's anything. None of this is happening. You know, I was at the, uh, the uh, BBC Hard Talk in 2018. I was pressed on this issue and I, I was sitting in the UK and I said, look, your country did not lock up your Muslim population for 7 7. Mm-hmm.
0: Did you get an answer to
1: that? No. no? They, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your yeah. country just, they, did not create The United States did not BBC set up would a have concentration. Gone crazy. Yes. If they had, right? But yes. with China,
0: they're going give, to give them a pass. The, so yeah, the and the United
1: ended. States did not set up concentration camps after 9/11. Nah, the French the government did not set up a concentration camp after seeing that many people went to Syria to fight along uh alongside ISIS, Charlie Hebdo yes. or any so, yeah. so 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 that's that is essentially the problem. So the Chinese securitization of a, a dissent uh resentment and folding them all into the category of counterterrorism has been,
0: but that's an excuse. I think we, I, I understand that you understand that. Believe that the, we have a security problem. I don't think it's simply well. They handled it badly. No, they didn't just handle it badly. This it seems. You correct me if I'm wrong. I think this is c- colonialism. It's imperialism. It's an and, and that gets to the, 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 the gets to the next s- subject. I want you to uh, address a little bit. So you can. So Matt Pottinger agrees with you. That, yeah, the. Uyghurs are being treated brutally. Genocide is a higher bar than brutal treatment. Genocide is—we're talking about more. I want you to tell us a little bit about making the case that okay, this is not just brutal treatment. This is not just overreacting to security concerns. This is not just being—it's not just surveillance. It's genocide, and it's—and it's not genocide in the sense that okay, we're you know Hitler was going to kill every Jew. No, 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 no. But there's still cultural genocide, and there's still, and this gets back to what we were talking about. The idea there's a Uyghur culture, there's a Uyghur language, their Uyghur has a way of life. It's very ancient. We're gonna we're gonna destroy it, yep. and we're gonna make them feel like second class Chinese citizens. That's what they're gonna they're gonna accept their status as that in this hinterland. Again, if look, people should look at the map because. She, Eastern Turkestan or Xinjiang, it sticks out into Central Asia. It's really not part of what you would think of. I mean, it's it's, it's so clearly part of this ancient Chinese right. empire, which goes back to the 19th century when it became. So uh, let's talk about the things that,
1: were, that have been done that are genocidal. Yes. So um, um, based on the open source um, information that are available, uh, based on the Chinese government's own construction bidding, Uh, based on their own white paper, uh, we do know now that 1.3 million Uyghurs, uh, this is in the Chinese uh, white paper, uh, starting from 2015, annually went through re-education program. That gives you an idea how massive, uh, how uh, pervasive this uh, collective punishment has been. Uh, Even if you ignore that, uh, number one point three million for about uh, five five years. It could be about the size of the metropolitan population in Washington DC area. Um, just Pentagon said Randy Shriver, uh, former Assistant Secretary of Defense for Indo Pacific region, uh, said in two thousand nineteen that the U.S. government believes that two to three million Uyghurs have been uh, incarcerated in modern day concentration camps. So there are concentration camps very similar to the hundred, uh, concentration camps that the history, we have seen in history books. I studied the history of concentration camps through this book uh, author, uh, Andrea Pitzker, who wrote a book called Long Night. Uh, and I compare the hallmark similarities. Uh, a, uh, like the historical concentration camps, the individuals taken to the camp based on their ethnicity and religious practices. And then two, it's extrajudicial. And three, no one knows when they will be released. And four, once they're released, no compensation is offered, no apologies uh, given, or no assistance provided to reintroduce them to the society. These are very common hallmarks, commonalities of the And Eastern. they're not going
0: to be released unless the, the authorities essentially believe they've been successfully brainwashed.
1: Yeah. And also now the authorities, uh, through this uh, frontline documentary uh, exchange, uh, a journalist had with a Chinese security official that they cannot be released because people went crazy. And then that takes me to the second point. Because of this around-the-clock indoctrination, uh, forcing the individuals to go through sexual violence... Forcing individuals to denounce their religious belief. Just let this sink in. You believe in their religious. You have, you, 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 you follow a God. You follow your God. You practice your religion. You have this rich spiritual life. And then a, a communist regime comes to you and says, your religious is, religion is evil. Uh, new God is Xi Jinping, uh, calling, uh, uh, prophet, uh, with the names that can break your spirit if you hear that daily uh, in and out so so the and then all, on top of that there was physical and verbal abuses that the camps uh survivors told me uh so they went crazy they have a, a serious mental health issue so so the chinese now using that as an excuse not to release them and then in a broader sense uh, two other things are happening that meets the definition of genocide one forced sterilization we're talking about middle aged women as a profile in a book. So the Uyghur women have been subject to sexual violence, forced sterilization. As a result, and in just one year, a natural birth, natural, uh, a growth of natural birth dropped uh, about 24% in just one, one county. So that is that that is uh, one of the reasons compelled uh, Secretary Pompeo to uh, give this crime as a proper uh, proper name, right? And, and, then, then, and he
0: was the one he had. It was he this was New a, York. this he, was his at the end of the day. Secretary of State makes a decision. Do we yeah, designate it's his this legal as rights. a genocide or is it something less yes. than that? And he said, you know what, it is. Although, the, uh, you know, one other one I want you to just mention, the Becoming
1: Family program. And then the two other things. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. And then the, the other thing, uh, the Becoming Family, the ch- sending Chinese cadres to homes of uh, Uyghur women whose uh, husbands, uh, uh, male members of their family, have uh, family been taken to camp to sleep and eat with them. I profiled a heartbreaking story where uh, this Chinese man uh, sexually molesting a Uyghur woman while husband is watching TV in the living room, encouraging husband a uh, wife to suck it up. It will pass in one week because he's he. Both of them worried about being taken to yeah, the camp. These are
0: Chinese cadres put into the homes of Uyghurs to uninvited, uninvited, eating sleeping, maybe demanding yeah. sexual yeah. favors. And indoctrinating them and
1: reporting, And them. making children to spy on their parents, Makes, yeah, and so, reporting anything that they yeah. do or and say. And we're that- talking about this is a massive number up. Uh, Doctor uh, Darren Byler uh, wrote a piece on this: uh, one million men out, one million men in. So, so they're not even leaving people alone at their homes. And finally, this is a genocide. Also meets the, one of the legal requirements that the Chinese have been forcibly removing Uyghur children from their families and transferring them to another ethnic group. We're talking about 800,000 to 1 million. It's more people than the population in the District of Columbia where we're sitting today. D.C. has about 750,000 people, give and take. More kids... 800 to 1 million, 800,000 to 1 million as reported in, in the New York Times been taken. And finally, there's another thing. This is so relevant to the American people. Uh, and part of the reason I call it, uh, no escape that we have been uh, complicit in the ongoing genocide because of our continued purchasing habits of the slave labor produced, uh, consumer products. So no one with a straight face can tell me that they can escape this reality so so slavery sexual violence forcible removal of uh, children from their family members willful strategic uh and systematic attempts to destroy this nation in part and whole because based on uh because of their ethnic racial and religious background these are the these are the uh the so obvious uh, aspects of the legal international law that defines what constitutes genocide and are This will, Secretary Blinken and Secretary Pompeo will be remembered in history for what Secretary Pompeo did initially. And Secretary Blinken, even finding before finding his office at the State Department during his nomination hearing, acknowledged. Secretary Pompeo's decision would be his decision, which is remarkable. This shows, again, this is a bipartisan issue, bipartisan concern. I'm
0: glad we have continuity yeah. on that. By the way, in terms of what, what you're just talking about, about Americans being complicit in this, I, I want to just, just give one example, and the one that comes to mind is Disney. Because yeah. we think of Disney as so wholesome, it's for the kids, although Florida makes that. The, the recent events there
1: make us question that. but Mulan. Talk about yeah. the, the making of Mulan. So in 2019, again, Matt Pottinger um, managed to have a, a long list of Chinese entities added to uh, State Department's, uh, excuse me, Commerce Department's export ban list, known as Entity List. And one of those uh, police department uh, was at in the Entity List, was given credit in the Mulan, the movie Mulan. So this is actually, if you look at why Hollywood is not making any noise on the Uyghur genocide, explains that Hollywood has also been heavily influenced, if not fully controlled, by the CCP.
0: Absolutely. It could be because uh, it's a huge market, and yep. they don't want to offend the Chinese yep. uh, Communist Party, and so they won't do anything to defend, But actually, I mean, to actually go to Xinjiang... For this movie, yeah, and and they work with the local police department, police and department, gave the police department a and been implicated.
1: That particular police department was implicated in ongoing genocide. The whole uh, police system in the Uyghur region have been in the entity list, and Mulan. Have the audacity to even credit a, a an entity that has been facilitating, enabling, the in, an ongoing genocide.
0: So, if a from, uh, if somebody from Disney is listening and is upset, please, we'll have you on and we'll do, we'll have a conversation. I'd be pleased to do that. I, I would love to do. that. I will have you yes. on with them. That's a that's a that's a, that's a, that's a I would wonderful I'd like to have idea. that conversation with him. <laughs> you know. What? So,
1: so in addition to the uh, yeah. the Hollywood um, yeah. cliff, we also have an NBA problem.
0: Right, right, um, right, NBA has right. been
1: punishing uh, former manager and now the basketball player uh, who has spoken out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they they pri- pressured the host- Houston Rockets manager for innocuous uh, support of Hong Kong Democracy activists, Everyone in America should be saying the same thing without fear of reprisal from Beijing, right?
0: Well, well there will be reprisal, but you shouldn't. Say, look, for the, for, athlete, for professional athletes to to purposefully take a knee and disrespect the flag and the anthem of the United States as they're making money, and then to say, well, I can't offend the, yeah. the Communist Chinese Party, yeah. that strikes me as just shameless, absolutely and, shameless. And I'd
1: like to add two I more uh, problems. Yeah. Uh, a Silicon Valley problem and yeah. a wall street problem
0: oh wall street very much uh, yeah. so
1: Wall Street is still uh, investing in Chinese businesses um, uh, and and Silicon Valley is still helping the Chinese technology. those of us who are history of student uh, students of students of history know that uh, IBM was helping uh, Hitler's regime mm-hmm. uh, with technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, Volkswagen was providing vehicles, Hugo Boss was providing uniforms, and now we're having IBM 2.0 on our watch. Uh, about 20 years ago, this has also been reported, American tech firms, uh, Intel, uh, Sun Microsystem, and German Siemens, and others helped the Chinese to develop a surveillance camera. And today, Chinese companies, uh, Hikvision, is the largest surveillance camera maker around the world. They have installed 400 million cameras in China. The domestic market is saturated. Uh, Our universities, hospitals, prisons, uh, even in one instance, a military uh, base in the United States uh, we're using vision made cameras. This has been uh, documented in a book, amazing book called "We Have Been Harmonized." Mm, mm-hmm. So, so the tech firms, uh, American businesses, um, uh, academia, and I forgot about the academia as well. Oh. We have people like Jeffrey Sachs at Columbia University still yep, yep, yep. trashes continues to trash the United States with the whataboutism game uh, while echoing defending this genocide of regime in Beijing. So, academia, the sports world, the Hollywood, the Silicon Valley, the investors, and now the consumers. We uh, consumers can make change because when we start buying their products, the investors, shareholders will hear from us. That will put pressure. I'm a corporate lawyer. I do a compliance work. That's how you get um, company executives' attention. Consumers are so powerful. We've seen this already being very effective early this year when um, Nathan Chirinsky, uh Bernard Henry Levy, Alicia Wiesel, uh bought two pages of uh, ad in the New York Times calling to boycott the uh, 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 Genocide Olympics in Beijing. People responded. Uh, they didn't watch the game. Mm-hmm. It, and NBC, CBC's viewership dropped by half. That's how we get the message across today, uh, those people who make unconscionable decision, business decision, unethical business decisions.
0: I do want to mention to you, you may know this,
1: that. FTDs
0: have done a lot of work, particularly on the Confucian, Confucius Institutes, yes. and shut, helped that's shut a men- down a lot that's of a them. That's a
1: menace to our society.
0: A menace to society, and we just uh, done on our uh, Asia program, uh, Tiandi Technologies, who manufacture the Tiger chairs that you yeah. talk about yeah. in the book, and now Tiandi
1: is going to be sanctioned. This yes. is just as of, I am so. Been, last so year, this is a big. Success I commend your for us. team for yeah. te- uh, you know researching and reporting on these issues. This is one of the things that the American people need to know. Yeah. It's not, you know, the Chinese technology. Well, TikTok, of course, is the other one. Uh, but we, won't, we won't go into TikTok now. But there's, there's
0: at least a movement to say, okay, we got to shut down TikTok in there's country. You know, science and technology is
1: supposed to make our lives easier. The it's- Chinese uh, development on science and technology has not been a moral progress. Uh, and this has been one of the ways in which that they are expending the influence. A uh, White House official, Rash, Rash Doshi, wrote a book called, um, A Long Game, in that there's two, two things, uh, stands out, uh, uh, in a whole book, one is blunt and and built. There's so China is blunting American influence while building their own, and their technology is one of the ways in which that they're doing just that. And Huawei, for example, uh, brags about having cloud storage contract with over 140 countries. ZTE brags about being able to produce motion detecting cameras, cameras uh, on the street uh, uh, light light poles. So this is a music to some authoritarian regimes and uh, dictatorship around the world. It will make it easier for them to surveil their citizens. Even in some uh, 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 democratic societies, if we don't start paying attention, that will be used to monitor opposition leaders. That will be used to uh, monitor voting records. So we have to be very, very vigilant. This is a huge problem about our privacy, about health of a democracy, uh, voting votes uh, in, in the bare minimum.
0: And uh, B, uh, BASF, a very important yeah. German firm, just announced they're closing facilities in Germany and going to open them in China. Yeah, right they invested. In, and again, BASF, you, you want to come and talk to us? Tell us we're wrong. Go ahead on the eve and of Olaf
1: Scholz's uh, visit, exactly. they, they announced investing $10 billion uh, in China.
0: Are, uh, a lot of other subjects. One I definitely don't want to n- not get into is, you would think. Again, we discuss Uyghurs are Turk people. They're Muslim people. You've got dozens of Muslim majority countries around the world. You have quite a few countries that are Turkish. Not yeah. just Turkey is obviously the most is the most obvious, but plenty of others, and yet. We have seen very little solidarity from these countries. Um, it's the Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia just posted Xi Jinping. Yeah, have hosted Xi Jinping with the red great carpet. love, the great, great love fest. Um, I don't see Turkey standing up for the Turkic Muslim peoples of of uh, East Turkestan. Um, Egypt has sent back Uyghurs. Yeah, to, in, 2016. in 2016. That's
1: how it started, actually.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's I don't Those, know what to say other than that. It's pretty disappointing. And they picked
1: up Uyghur students from El Hazar University. Actually, the Egyptian government invited them to go to study at El Hazar with a valid visa, valid passport. At the request of the Chinese, they just went to the dorms to round them up. I've seen the video when they were rounded up. And they just disappeared. Uh, Human Rights Watch did a uh, report, uh, in 2016. It's still available for your uh, viewers to just to see what Egyptian government did in early parts of the. So, you know, it's, it's a, um, there's no, uh, public speaking or, uh, public engagement that I've done in the last six years on this particular issue, uh, that this question won't come up. Uh, it is, it, it, it just, uh, infuriates me that, these Muslim uh, countries, case in point, uh, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, for example, uh, like to criticize the West. For example, the former Pakistani Prime Minister Imran Khan always talks about Islamophobia. And when he was pressed, what about your friend Xi Jinping's treatment of your fellow Muslim uh, he won't say anything. He, in fact, he defends Xi Jinping. It's the same thing with the MBS. MBS goes to China. We talk about Mohammed bin
0: Salman, yeah. the crown prince.
1: And the... he, instead of saying anything negative, he actually compliments the way that the Chinese treating fellow Muslims. His name is banned. You cannot even say, Asalaamu alaykum, That's part of the Arabic way of saying hello. His outfit. Even if, the, if you're Uyghur, if you had a, a travel history Saudi Arabia, even for pilgrimage, mm-hmm. then you're a good candidate for the camp. MBS won't say anything. So uh, if, uh, three reasons, essentially. One, none of these guys are a Jeffersonian democracies, as you know. And they also have their own domestic problems. So they are, um, I, I can't speak for them, but just observing their behavior and knowing a little bit about these societies. there are worried that, once the, the government takes a position out the West, their own population will be demanding freedom. So that's one aspect. The other thing is that uh, most of these countries have become a client state to the Chinese, uh, specifically those in Central Asia, mm-hmm. under the auspices of Shanghai Cooperation Organization. The Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan uh, always try to be nice, uh, make nice with the United States, but... They are in the pockets of the CCP. Uh, even at the UN and recent voting record shows that they cannot even agree with the UN Human Rights Council to debate on the Uyghur report that Michelle Bachelet issued 13 minutes before her time has expired. And then the third, uh, Belt and Road Initiative. Yeah. So there's a strong economic uh, aspect to it. So they have done, the Chinese have done a, a, a remarkably a good job. Uh telling those Muslim countries that the United States go around to uh, goes to Muslim countries, bomb their schools, kill their people, whereas Chinese build schools, hospitals, and cell towers. So it's resonating. So for and also fourth, and this is I'm very comfortable saying this, and these Muslim countries um, have been uh, airing their frustration against the United States and European partners through their alliance with the Chinese. Uh, i don't know if it's it's their way to get our attention or it's their way of airing their frustration but something is not clicking in and in, in their behavior uh just a few several weeks after biden's trip to riyadh mbs invited xi jinping there actually xi jinping had a better reception
0: Well, yes, and I think in part that was a way of spitting in Biden's eye because he thinks Biden spit in his eye and Biden did spit in his eye in any number of ways. It's another discussion, but I think that – but that's part of it. I mean the last thing we – Look, I think the last thing we should be doing is driving the Saudis and others into the arms of Xi Jinping. Absolutely. That's just a, a mistake, and as far, as far as foreign policy Absolutely. is concerned, but but I hope. But I'm, I'm not defending. We- I'm not defending the Saudis for not standing up for the Uyghurs, yeah. not simply because they're Muslim, yeah. not simply because they're Turkic. Although as Arabs, that's a whole other yeah. problem, but just because. This is an, this, this is an incredible injustice and you should at least be
1: able to see I think it. in the case of Turkey, I think they're yeah. missing a, a huge opportunity. I've been communicating with the Turkish officials, um, privately, uh, and I would love them to be involved more. I mean, they, uh, the Turkish government, especially in the Ukrainian crisis, trying to be a, a bridge builder, uh, specifically on the grain export issues uh early on as you know that they provided uh drones to the ukrainians that helped to push back against the, uh, the russian soldiers in the north when they were invading uh and the uyghur case i think the turks had can do three things one um they can use their influence in the muslim world to at least help us to uh, uh spread accurate information it's done like a toll order but they can do it erdogan whether we like it or not, he's still a very popular figure in the Muslim streets. He can do that. He's a trained as a Imam. He knows how to make the case. Back in 2009, when the word genocide was still very allergic word to the uh, Turkish public, Erdogan called the Chinese treatment of the Uyghurs to, uh, something like genocide. So he knows how to do this. So they can, he can help. And then the second thing is that, uh, they're doing it a little bit here and there. In international organizations like the UN. Uh, well, the, I, know, the, I just, at, just wanted uh, to Islamic add that conflict. the UN
0: has been dismal. impotent, dismal. Yeah, yeah. I mean it the and partly because the UN is so much under the thumb yeah. at this point of Xi Jinping. We
1: do also invest a lot of money in the UN. So the notion <sighs> that China pays a big chunk of UN operations no. uh, budget should not make us- It's to, nothing like what yeah. the US puts into yes, the UN. Yes, It's very exactly. minimal. It, it, there are a lot of uh, misinformation has been floating around and confusing people. That's one of them. And Turkey could make a difference. Uh, and then the last thing, this is very important. Actually, this helps the Turks to become- uh, more independent uh economically more prosperous, why not uh, entice some of those uh companies that have been implicated in slave labor to Turkey? Turkey has a long uh a textile industry very well established we're talking about several hundred years of a textile a tradition. It has a vibrant youth called uh youth population. It has a very vibrant agricultural sector, has an automotive sector. Uh, green technology, uh, believe it or not, they are pretty advanced when it comes to windmills. Uh, so if they can take some of those businesses, we talk about 83 global rent have been implicated in the ongoing slave labor practices to Turkey. Uh, and it will also bring them closer to the United States. The United States government has put out uh, uh, legislative mandates and, and announced uh, executive decisions, but because the scope and scale of the problem is so big, we have not been able to solve it, at least in the slave labor aspect. Instead of looking to some shaky regimes in Central, uh, Eastern uh, Asia, East Asia, we should look to countries like. Turkey that has easy access to ports, has a, a vibrant youth population, and also existing uh, industry that can complement, that can help to solve some of the problems. So this these are not actually uh, uh, earth-shaking suggestions. This is actually mutually beneficial. And this is the way that the Uyghur slavery might be might end if Turkey steps into this.
0: So uh, this will be my last question, but make any other points you want to. Your your book ends on a fairly optimistic note, um, but I wonder if you're still as optimistic given all we have said, because I think, I mean, I'm not sure we're seeing progress for the Uyghurs. I'm not sure we can... We can confidently say that ten years from now, twenty years from now, the Chinese policy of erasing Uyghur culture and the Uyghurs as a as a viable people could not succeed. Partly because, yes. There's been good things the US has done some things, but again, the UN, the Europeans, the Muslim states, the 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 Turkic states, um they've they, they've simply not been willing to, to the, the so called international community yeah, yeah. has not been willing to stand up to uh, to 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 Xi Jinping and to his Wolf Warrior diplomacy. Yeah. You write yeah. about wolf warrior diplomacy and where that right. comes from.
1: Yeah. Um anyhow, conclude with anything you like. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pleased with the response that we have seen from the United States government, uh, in, with, Bipartisan spirit, both on in, in the executive branch and the uh, legislative branches of our government. In Congress, the Uyghur issue is very popular. There's a lot of support. We're talking about over 400 votes in the House for the Uyghur bills. We, uh, uh, Representative Young Kim just passed the bill uh, last week. Um, in the Senate, uh, the Uyghur bills have received unanimous consent, which is huge. And all of this happened... When the Congress members of Congress from both sides could not even stand each other, there's a joke in Washington. Actually, if you wanted to bring the members of Congress together, initiate something relates to the Uyghurs, <laughs> which is a very good thing. On an exact branch, you know, yeah. the Trump administration, Biden administration, essentially have the same Uyghur policy. It is remarkable. Yeah. So this is the really, really nice natural pushback against China's attempt to find a soft belly under. In a in our society, it didn't work. So this is all positive things. There are a lot of uh, 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 activism within the U.S. government, uh, civil servants, for example, so passionate about doing more. What is not working is that uh, there's no there's no persistence. You know, one day it just heats up and then it rolls back, and then it's kind of you know uh, lack of uh, a persistent, a coherent. Uh, attempts to stop Xi Jinping. And also there's uh, one other issue that has also been um, uh, identified and has been addressed but has not been implemented is lack of appreciation. I think our government officials, um, specifically in executive branch, has not been really honest. They know the issue. We have to be honest, we have to be bold, and we have to be courageous and we have to be persistent. This isn't an existential threat. You can forget about the Uyghur suffering for a minute or a day or for the time being, but you have to worry about the future of our nation. We've been challenged in multiple fronts. Um We talked about Xi Jinping going to the Middle East. Yeah. That used to be our backyard, right? Um, so, so there are a lot of things, you know, the, 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 the threat to democratic norms, democratic freedoms, our global standing, our leadership role, our values. And now we're talking about Chinese police stations in the United States. There, BBC reported 54 uh, police stations in Europe. And what kind of world this is? You know, People need to ask themselves. So we need to be honest about the problem. I mean, putting this away or uh, kicking the can down the road is not a strategy. We have to have a coherent uh, and long-lasting strategy to push back because at the end of the day, this is about our future. The Uyghur people have paid ultimate price. The people of Hong Kong has paid ultimate price, and we Taiwanese people may possibly pay pay and lose their democracy if we still continue to dancing around something so uh, near and dear to us, which is freedom, Uh, democracy, and freedom is worth fighting for, and this is not something that American people will have a hard time to appreciate. So, so, so it 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 is it is about us, it is about our future. Um, and I, I believe that the Chinese will cave in, uh, will, will change if we make this costly. I don't think that we have made it costly yet. This has to be global effort. The United States cannot do this alone. No, but the United
0: States has to lead, yeah, and they have to be seen as leading because others will others will follow. Will follow and if America leads, not, but it, but they, it won't happen without that.
1: You know, when we lead, we were respected as a country. Either we lead or the
0: or Xi well, somebody else, rules. Yes. No, not leads rules. Yes. I think it's important. Nuri Turkel, I'm very glad you're talking about this, working on this. I'm glad you've got the USURF uh, work, working on this. I'm glad you've written this book, which I highly recommend. We've given people teasers from it, but only that. They should read the whole book. It's called No Escape, The True Story of China's Genocide of the Uyghurs by Nuri Turkel, Thanks for coming in, and thanks for all the work you do. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for reading my book.
0: That That's an honor. And thanks to all of you who have moved with us for this conversation here on Foreign Policy. Thank you for listening to this episode of Foreign Policy. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us, preferably with five stars. Ratings and reviews help give us visibility and the opportunity to reach more people who seek to understand the most critical national security and foreign policy issues. Also, make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Follow FDD on social media and visit our website at fdd.org. There you can find research by FDD experts. You can subscribe to all FDD's products. You can catch up on any past episodes you may have missed. Finally, we'd love your feedback, your ideas, your questions, your criticisms. Send us an email at foreignpodicy at fdd.org. Until next time, I'm Cliff May, and you've been listening to Foreign Policy.